It is God who saves us in Christ and it is God who holds us fast, holds us eternally secure in Christ. Once saved, always saved. As we continue our sermon series, Saved to the Uttermost, today we turn to the doctrine of perseverance of the saints. We'll be reading from John chapter 6, verses 35 through 40. Let us pray. God, our Father, we do come with grateful hearts that when you save a sinner, that sinner is saved, and you will complete that which you have begun. Father, give us confidence in you. Remind us you save, and you save to the uttermost. Remind us of the assurance we have, the security that we enjoy because you hold us fast in Christ Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Now God's word for God's people from John 6, verses 35 through 40. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. My pastor told me I have lost my salvation, said the unknown caller. So I responded, the Bible teaches that a true believer can never lose their salvation. Why would your pastor tell you such a thing? Well, apparently this lady had fallen into sin and according to this pastor it was grievous sin to a degree that led him to conclude that indeed she had lost her salvation and had finally fallen out of the state of grace. Can someone who was saved lose their salvation? And so I want to be very clear that the answer to that question is no. As big a no as we can possibly state. Once saved, always saved is not just a clever bumper sticker. It is the truth of Scripture. Our confession calls it perseverance of the saints. And if you take your Trinity hymnal and you look on page 858, you will find chapter 17 of the confession. And there you'll find the first paragraph reading, 
they whom God hath accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. And so on Wednesday and on Friday, I was able to stand here in this pulpit and speak to two families and to those gathered for these memorial services and say that Don and Deborah, by God's grace, persevered to the end of their physical life and they are now with the Lord in heaven. First, what a blessing to be able to say that. Secondly, what a blessing to be able to say that about people that you've known for years and you know of their love for the Lord, how much of a privilege it is that our God says, when I save you in Christ Jesus, you are saved and nothing not even death itself is going to snatch you out of my hand. The doctrine of perseverance of the saints is taught in John 6, 35 through 40. Jesus declared, those who are given to me, unconditional election, will come to me in faith irresistible grace and will never be cast out perseverance of the saints you'll find this outline on page seven in your bulletin so let's dive into this passage as we consider first Jesus saying all that the father gives me verse 37 and we need to see this in light of that doctrinal teaching in the Bible unconditional election well, let's look at the context of this passage. Let's look at John chapter 6. He begins with Jesus feeding the 5,000. The 5,000 totals the number of men present on that hillside there near Bethsaida on the northeastern shore of the Sea of, of Galilee. The actual number of people that Jesus fed that day was more like 20,000 men, women, and children. So our, our Lord took five barley loaves and two fish and he blessed them. And then he had the disciples to distribute them amongst the more than 20,000 people gathered there on that hillside. And the text tells us that after they had eaten their fill, they were full and could not put another bite in their mouth. Jesus instructed his disciples to collect the morsels that remain, and the morsels that remain filled 12 baskets full of food. The leftovers of Jesus' miracle. John records the account then of Jesus walking on water later that evening, and then the next day, the crowd sought Jesus. I mean, wouldn't you seek Jesus? After 20,000 people have been fed from five loaves and two fish and 12 baskets full of leftovers were taken home. Jesus was on the other side near Capernaum. 
And Jesus, when the crowd finally found him, he disclosed to them their motives for seeking him. And their motives for seeking him was not because Jesus did such an incredible miracle that clearly showed that he was Messiah, that he was God. He said, no, you saw me because you ate your fill of the loaves. You seek me because you benefited from me. You seek me because your material and physical needs were met by me. And then, just, then Jesus goes on from there, just reflecting upon what does it mean to truly seek me? Jesus said, to truly seek me is not because your physical and material needs are met, but because you believe, because you have faith that I am Messiah, that I am Savior, that I am God. And then Jesus called them to partake, to partake of the true bread, Jesus said, from heaven that, in verse 27, endures for eternal life. He said, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven. That's me, Jesus said. And gives life to the world, verse 33. And the crowd responded. And had we been there, we should have responded, Sir, give us this bread always. And by the way, that's how we should be responding today. Give me. Jesus, always. In verse 35, now we come to our text for this morning. Jesus makes the first of seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. He said, I am the bread of life. What Jesus was saying is that I am the provision of God that completely satisfies the deepest longing of every single person that has ever lived, is living, and will live on this earth. I am the one who satisfies our spiritual hunger. I am the one who satisfies our spiritual thirst. Verse 35. He is the food that is mentioned, the provision that is mentioned in verse 27 that endures to eternal life. Now here's the point. Seeing Jesus and even eating the fish and the bread that he provided was not enough for this crowd. It's not enough for us either, by the way. He said, you've seen me, yet you do not believe in verse 36. Let's hit the pause button for a second and reflect on this question. Why do people seek Jesus? We may think in our day, not many people do because of just the the many expressions of the fallenness of the world that is so clear to all of us as we gaze upon our culture. But the question still stands. There are people still seeking Jesus today, and I think some people seek Jesus out of fear. I fear death. I want some crutch to, to lean on. People may seek Jesus out of a sense of duty. That is certainly my default setting. I'm supposed to, and it's my duty to. 
Now, some people may seek Jesus because they want to please a parent or please a spouse or please a friend or maybe please a girlfriend or boyfriend. Some people seek Jesus out of curiosity. I think that's a big one, actually. And some people seek Jesus, as, <laughs> as odd as this may sound in our day, because it's faddish. It's hip <laughs> to seek Jesus. I think in some parts of our culture, that's probably true. The crowd sought Jesus. They were very pragmatic in seeking Jesus. And they sought Jesus because, hey, Jesus works. He fed me. And I went away satisfied. But I became hungry again. And needed to be satisfied again. And I became thirsty again. And needed to have my quenched thirst. You see, when we are pragmatic about coming to Jesus, when we seek Jesus because he works, he provides for my physical and material needs, we are merely being satisfied temporally. And for the moment, Jesus says, I've got something so much more, something so much better, and that is eternal satisfaction. I am the food for eternal life. In verse 35, Jesus makes this beautiful promise, whoever comes to me and whoever believes in me, it is this one who will have all of their longings satisfied. For I am the food for eternal life. And the one who believes in me endures to eternal life. Verse 27. Well, how does one come to Jesus in true belief? And Jesus answers it in verse 37. All the Father gives me. That there is a number given by the Father to Jesus. In John 10, just a little later in John, the Good Shepherd, verse 14, I am the Good Shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Moving a little forward in John, John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer, Jesus says at the very beginning, verses 1 and 2, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. A set number of sinners have been chosen and given to Jesus that they would believe, be saved, and endure, persevere to eternal life. So take your Bibles and turn, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. We'll not read this whole passage. I'll just simply choose a number of parts of verses here just to make the point. In eternity past, God chose to save some sinners. Look at verse 4. And this choice by the Father is unconditional because he did not condition his sovereign choice on anything man might do or would do in the future. In other words, he chooses not because of some foreseen faith. He chose 
because, according to his good pleasure. Look at verses 5 and 11. And after the counsel of his own will. And therefore his choice was unconditional, not conditioned on anything man might do. And further God said in verse 3 that, we are, that he has blessed us in Christ. Verse 4, he chose us in him, in Christ. Verse 5, that we are adopted through Jesus Christ, in Christ. And then in verse 7, in him, in Christ, we have redemption. And then in verse 11, in him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. In Christ. We see that phrase throughout the epistle to the Ephesians in particular. Those chosen in Christ are those given to Christ who are irreversibly united to Christ in saving faith and will persevere and endure to eternal life. Do you believe that? The elect in Christ, Ephesians 1, are the same as all that the Father gives me in John chapter 6 and verse 37. Those chosen in and given to Christ by the Father are those effectually called, are those regenerated, that is, enabled to believe, are those converted, that is, enabled to respond to the gospel message in repentance unto everlasting life and to believe upon Jesus Christ for the saving of their souls. They are the ones who are justified, declared just, who are adopted, declared members of the family of God and are being sanctified throughout the whole of their Christian life. It is God who saves us in Christ. And it is God who holds us eternally secure in Christ. Once saved, always saved. We will be glorified. And the second part of this passage is in verse 37 where Jesus says those who you've given to me we would say the elect will come to me efficacious or irresistible grace when someone comes to Jesus in, in faith it is a function of their will they believe but their belief they're coming to Jesus must be understood as a response to what God has already done. The Father chose some sinners to be regenerated at a point in time, given a new heart, given new spiritual birth, given a new nature, enabled to see their sin and turn from it, to see Jesus and know that he is the Savior and flee to him in faith. That's what we know as effectual calling. I remember years ago helping my children learn to swim. And the way I went about that, that process was I would take one of my children in the water. They couldn't swim. They'd sink like a rock. And then I would hold them up, and I'd just say, swing those arms and kick. So they would swing those arms and kick, and I'd just kind of move them along in the water. And in their little minds... They were swimming, though had I let go, 
David has sunk like a rock. In our little minds, we choose Jesus. We choose to come to Jesus. But in actuality, God irreversibly and irresistibly draws us to him because he's given us a new nature and we willingly respond. If God does not regenerate, if God does not effectually call, if God does not enable, you'll sink. Ephesians 2, 4 through 10 is a passage I keep going back to because it's so clear about God's work and what God's work accomplishes in the life of a sinner. Beginning with verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. And even when dead in our trespasses, dead in our trespasses, can't swim, <laughs> we would sneak, could not flee to Jesus if we had to, we're dead. And yet Paul says, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And the very good works, Paul says, which God prepared beforehand, that we might walk in them. It is God's gracious work of salvation that makes us willing to come. And so we willingly come to Jesus. Nothing can stop us. We flee to Jesus. We run to him as if our life depends on it. And our life does depend on it. It is inconsistent with salvation that one would say, oh man, I came kicking and screaming to Jesus. I just didn't want to do it. Brothers and sisters, that's not how God works. God changes us. He renews us. And when we come to see Jesus for who he is, we run to him for life. It is God who saves us in Christ. And it is God who holds us securely in Christ. Once saved, always saved. And third, Jesus teaches the doctrine of perseverance of the saints. His promise is this, whoever comes to me in true faith is the all given by the Father and effectually called and irresistibly drawn in saving faith and those, Jesus says, will never be cast out. It's impossible for those given to Christ to be cast out because Jesus came to do the Father's will, verse 38. 
And the will of the Father, verse 39, is that none would be lost and all those given to the Son would be raised up to eternal life at the last day. Glorified. The elect, the chosen of God, all given to the Son will persevere. We've already read this in John 6 and verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has sent his seal. And then in John chapter 10 and verse 28, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. John 17, 12, while I was with them, I kept them in your name which you have given me I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that this that the scripture might be fulfilled and then in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 1 we read but now thus says the Lord who created you O Jacob he who formed you O Israel Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And then at the very end of that passage that Jerry read earlier, also henceforth, I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? Isn't that beautiful? If you're in God's hands, there is none who can deliver you from God's hands. Eternal security. Romans 8, 29 through 30 that we read earlier as our profession of faith. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Can the elect who will persevere Praise God for that. Sin for a limited time. Even appear to have possibly fallen out of the state of grace. In the great work of John Bunyan, the Puritan preacher, his depiction of the believer's journey to heaven, pilgrim's progress, Christian and hopeful meet temporary. And temporary is a man who appeared by all human standards to be a really upstanding Christian. But he meets another fellow and falls away into apostasy. And Bunyan describes him as an absolute backslider. The Apostle Peter warns against people like this, absolute backsliders. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 22, these teachers that are false teachers who appear to be Christians and yet they ultimately fall away into apostasy. And so we have to acknowledge that there are people like that. They appear to be Christian. Maybe it's the, the seed being broadcast on the soil and it's that, that rocky soil where the seed takes effect for a little bit or the the thorny soil where there's a little bit of germination that goes on there, but because the soil had not been prepared, it, there's no fruit. They were never really truly saved to begin with. But we also have to look at another type of backslider. I hate to tell you this, 
but this type of backslider may even describe some of us here today. I, I, I might even go as far as to say that in one degree or another, it might describe everyone here today. This is called the limited backslider, according to Bunyan. One who is a true Christian, who is united to Christ in saving faith, will never totally and finally fall away from the state of grace. They will persevere to the end. However, they may appear to really struggle, and some may even appear to have a temporary lapse of being in the state of grace. Our confession says on page 858 that, that the believer may fall into grievous sins and for a time continue therein. Do you know anyone like that? The Apostle Peter not only warned about absolute backsliders, but he also knew quite a bit about being a limited backslider because he was one in denying Jesus. King David fell into grievous sin and continued in it for a time. And we have to be honest, had any of us kind of plopped down at the time of 2 Samuel 11 and 12, and we actually hung out with King David for a while and learned what he had done, we would kind of go, A, there's no way in the world this is a man after God's own heart, and B, he's fallen away. This guy has lost it, committing adultery, being implicit, and what I'm adding to murder uh, Bathsheba's husband, not being there with his troops on the front line, negligence as the king of Israel. I mean, the, the sins were just mounting up with David, and, and he was continuing in them for a while until Nathan but what is interesting in Psalm 51 is that we learn this. Not only is Psalm 51 a psalm of repentance by King David, but he also says there that I was not cast out. And, and that is incredible encouragement to you and me. Because we've been studying the process of God's order of salvation, and last Sunday we looked at sanctification. Sanctification is this more and more putting death sin in us and more and more living under righteousness but get it is more and more putting death sin in us i.e. we continue to struggle with sin and God is so gracious and merciful that if we are truly saved even if we fall into grievous sin for a time we will be brought back to repentance and faith and we will not be cast out. John Bunyan really helps us quite a bit as some of his teaching has to do with the progression of backsliding. Let me give it to you because I, th I think this is helpful. Because here's the point. We all are, there is the possibility for each one of us to backslide. And th this is the progression of backsliding according to uh, Bunyan. First, thoughts turn from God and likely to self. Second, private spiritual duties like reading the Bible and, and prayer are neglected. Fellowship with God's people is avoided. We need to understand we've just been through a pandemic. So there's been a lot of 
not being able to fellowship with God's people. But that's winding down. Public spiritual duties like worship or ministry are neglected. We become critical of other Christians. We associate with the wrong people. Our speech becomes worldlier. Sin is played with openly. And our hearts become more and more hardened towards God. I mean, can you put yourself at any given time at anywhere on that progression? It is likely most of us can, to one degree or another. Limited backsliding. The absolute backslider, that progression leads to apostasy. But here's the good news about the limited backslider. Because of the doctrine of perseverance, because of the promise that God will never cast us out, the limited backslider, that progression leads to repentance and faith and restoration. If David and Peter are numbered among the limited backsliders, surely the potential is there for me, and I, su I suggest for you as well. This should serve as a warning for us to all the more flee to Christ daily in repentance and faith. Look, back, look to that progression of backsliding and ask God to protect us and to give us wisdom and, and to cause us to live for him. But also, this potential for backsliding should cause us to hold on even more to the promise that for those who are in Christ, that he will never cast us out. That even when we try and abandon him, i.e. backslide, he comes after us. He will never let us go. We may fall headlong into sin for a time, but he will bring us to repentance. He will bring us to turn to him again in faith and to restore us. It is God who saves us in Christ, and it is God who holds us eternally secure in Christ. Once saved, always saved, even for limited black backsliders. We will persevere. I want to end by drawing our attention to Matthew chapter 18, verses 10 through 14. It is the parable of the lost sheep. It really shows us the heart of Jesus for the all in all the Father has given me. The parable basically says this. Jesus the good shepherd has a hundred sheep. Ninety-nine of the sheep are doing quite well and they're in the sheep pen. And one, I think his name is Tim, is wayward, runs off. And what does the shepherd do? The good shepherd goes and seeks the sheep named Tim and brings him back and restores him. The parable does not teach that, that the good shepherd has more concern for the wayward sheep than the sheep that, that stay in the pen. <laughs> That's not the point. The point is that Jesus cares for his sheep. He cares for the wayward sheep. The sheep are his. Given by the Father to persevere to heaven itself.
Jesus goes after the one of the 99. So it is not the will of the Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones, Jesus said, shall perish. In this world, the one certainty the true believer has that reaches into eternity is once saved, always saved. No matter how much a limited backslider we may be, And may we place our hope in Jesus, who, as we sang earlier after Anna's baptism, will never let us go, will never stop loving us. The pastor of the woman who called me about losing her salvation not only gave bad counsel, counsel that in my mind is unthinkable, but he gave counsel that is contrary to Scripture. The Bible teaches the doctrine of perseverance of the saints, a doctrine of hope and assurance. And we have the privilege today of being counseled by Jesus himself in the text of Scripture where Jesus said, that all the Father has given him, he will not cast out. It is God who saves in Christ, and it is God who holds us eternally secure in Christ, that we will be glorified, made in the likeness of Christ, once saved, always saved. Amen. Father in heaven, cause us to cast our gaze upon upon the Lord Jesus Christ, enable us to rest in his works of grace and in his promise. Enable us, Heavenly Father, to see that you are the God who saves, and when you save, you save to the uttermost. Remind us of once saved, always saved in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Please take your hymn.